if you're like me, you might have heard that for the first time and thought, well, that seems off. You know, I know that God is good and loving, and it doesn't seem consistent with the character of God to tempt us. So why then would we pray that he wouldn't do it? Wouldn't it be a given that God wouldn't tempt us? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to An Average Account of Exceptional Things. My name is Chandler, and I am your host. Thanks for joining us today. So as you can probably tell from this episode's title, this is part two of our discussion on prayer. Last week, we spent some time looking at what exactly prayer is and why it is such an important discipline for Christians. And this week, we're going to be continuing that by talking about perhaps the most well-known example of prayer that we have in Scripture, and that is the Lord's Prayer. So bearing that in mind, if you haven't listened to part one from last week, I would highly recommend you go back and give that a listen first before continuing with this episode. Alright, with that said, let's get things rolling right away. The Lord's Prayer has its name because it was presented to the disciples by Christ himself. So if you've ever wondered why we call it the Lord's Prayer, there's your answer. Now essentially, the disciples are asking Jesus how they should pray. And in his response, he presents them with this prayer. Now you can find this both in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Matthew. But since we read some scripture from Matthew last week as part of a larger passage, we're just going to go ahead and stick with that for today. Now, many of you may have heard the Lord's Prayer at some point or another. Maybe it was in a sermon or at a sporting event, or perhaps it was somewhere else entirely. But regardless, I think that we can all benefit from hearing it, whether that's for the first time or simply for another time. So let's go ahead and read that to kick things off. This is going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this isn't to say that we have to pray these exact words when we pray. In fact, I personally wouldn't advocate for that. While I have certainly prayed this prayer at times, word for word, it's important to recognize what Christ says at the beginning. Pray like this. That's important because it isn't the words inherently that are so powerful. It is the perfect model of prayer and what that reveals to us that holds the most weight. I personally think that if we only prayed this exact prayer and never our own, it would eventually become more of a recitation than a prayer. 
Recall our discussion last week about the importance of praying reverently and earnestly. Simply saying something doesn't inherently make it a prayer. And we can certainly pray without audibly speaking. So as we examine the Lord's Prayer today, bear in mind that while it most definitely is an incredible prayer that can be prayed word for word, it's also given as an example from which we can learn, in turn applying what we learn to our own prayers. Now we can see a lot from this example. In fact, many scholars have examined the Lord's Prayer and sort of noted seven key elements. You may have heard these referred to as the seven tenets of the Lord's Prayer. And I think that these are very helpful when thinking about translating the example of the Lord's Prayer to our own approach to prayer. So we're going to go step by step today through this passage, examining and breaking down these seven tenets of the Lord's Prayer. Our first segment is Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name. This is our address to God. When we pray, we should know who we are addressing. We can see this modeled in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. But it isn't just addressing God. This is also demonstrating how we ought to do so. Hallowed be your name is the second part of this. And for anyone who isn't familiar with that word, hallowed, the dictionary definition here is holy, sacred, or revered. The Lord's Prayer shows us that we ought to come to God with reverence, as we discussed last week. You know, we aren't simply recognizing that God exists, but we're also recognizing who he is. And that matters, because right from the start, it gets us in the correct mindset of humility and reverence before we proceed with the prayer. And there are plenty of ways to address God reverently in prayer, to start out a prayer. You know, I personally like Heavenly Father because I feel that it demonstrates both the Lord's power and position with Heavenly and also His character and love for us as a Father. But that definitely isn't to say that this is the only way to begin a prayer. The important thing here is that when we're starting a prayer, when we're addressing God, that we do so in a way that reflects who he is and that shows the reverence that he rightly deserves as a result of that. So we have the beginning of the prayer. Now our next section is Your Kingdom Come. This is a petition to God for the coming of his kingdom, just like it sounds. It expresses a desire and a longing for the day that all that is wrong in this world will be set right when Christ returns. 
In addition to that, however, you know, many people have also drawn a connection here, demonstrating how this also serves as a plea for the Lord to grow us in our daily faithfulness and obedience to him. The second application stems from the acknowledgement of God's kingdom, with the implication being that his dominion should be evident in the lives of believers through our conduct and our attitudes. This one is pretty straightforward, so we won't spend too much time with it. The next section is, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there are two applications in this segment, but they go hand in hand. The first is, once again, the prayer that God will strengthen and galvanize us so that we can effectively live in accordance with his word and to be a beacon of light and truth to those in the world around us. This one is sort of similar to the previous point, particularly if you're considering the secondary application that we just discussed. And I find that, once again, this one is fairly easy to understand. But this is where our second takeaway comes in. You'll notice that Jesus says, Your will be done. This is to show us an important element to our supplication. When praying, we should recognize God's sovereignty. You know, understanding that our will doesn't always align with God's will. And ultimately, it's his perfect will that not only triumphs, but that we should be seeking to follow. We see this element of prayer even in Christ's prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now it's important to hear this. This is not to imply in any way that the will of Jesus, as he provides this prayer, was somehow out of alignment with God the Father. That's flat out incorrect. Jesus is a part of the Trinity, and he is fully God and fully man. And to compare our relation to God's will to his would be wrong. We as people, as God's creation, have a fundamentally different relationship with God's will altogether. But the Lord's Prayer is given to us as an example, however. And it is definitely safe to say that our will does differ from God's divine will at times. In those times, we have to recognize that ultimately, his will and his ways are greater than ours. And he is working for the good of those who love him, as we can see in Romans chapter 8. And that can be a tough thing to wrap our minds around. Definitely. But the amazing part of this as well, is that as we strive to draw closer to God, and as he sanctifies us, our will should align more and more closely with his.
then all of a sudden it can get a bit easier to pray that prayer because when we are praying for God's will to be done, we're praying for what we are desiring because we're desiring what God desires. And this brings us to the fourth segment. Give us this day our daily bread. This is another petition, this time for spiritual nourishment. Now you might be hearing this and saying, hold on now, how do you get something spiritual from bread? And I can see how that might be a bit of an odd connection if you're not super familiar with certain scriptures. So let's look at this one closer. I want to read John chapter 6, verses 48 through 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Here we can see a bit more plainly how this section of the Lord's Prayer ties into spiritual nourishment. But why is this one so important? What makes spiritual nourishment so crucial? I mean, it sounds great. You know, we, we all love physical nourishment, and spiritual nourishment surely would be no different. But this is why it matters so much. Here is an analogy that I've heard a number of times, and I think that it's particularly true. Think about your efforts to evangelize, or even just to uplift and encourage others, maybe fellow Christians, maybe family members or friends. We are all like a cup. You know, you go around and you work to pour into people, whether that's uplifting someone or, you know, trying to, to minister to someone or to share the gospel. In all of those instances, we're pouring out into others. But if you have a cup and you keep pouring it out into other cups, eventually that one's going to be empty. And that's why it's important that we have spiritual nourishment. We need to be refilled, to be revitalized and rejuvenated so that we can go and continue to pour into others and to be a light in the world. That's why it's so crucial that we receive spiritual nourishment. And I think personally, that's also a big part of what makes it so important here in the Lord's Prayer. So now on to the fifth tenet. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This one seems easy enough at first, but in actuality, it's quite difficult to carry out. The thing about forgiveness, however, is that while it can be difficult, it's also something not simply that is good for us to do, 
but that we must do. Calling all the way back to this podcast's first episode, which was on the very topic of forgiveness, consider the parable of the unforgiving servant. That's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, for anyone who's interested in diving deeper into that. For those who haven't read it, or perhaps it's been a while, here is the quick summary of that parable. Essentially, there's a king, and he has a servant who owes him a very large amount of money, such a considerable amount that if he worked for the rest of his life, he would still not be able to pay it. And so he comes in, and the, the king is, is dealing with him, and the servant falls down, and he, you know, he begs for, uh, for mercy, for patience from the king. And the king, in turn, forgives him of this incredible debt that he owes. So you would think, at this point, that the servant is, is thankful and overjoyed. But he goes out into the street, and he finds one of his fellow servants, who owes him some money, a considerably smaller amount. You know, this is, this is an amount of money that uh, this fellow could conceivably have certainly paid. And, you know, he, he grabs him, and he says, I need my money, I want my money right now. And his fellow servant has a similar response as the first servant did with the king. He asks him to have patience, and he'll repay him. But instead, that first servant has him delivered to the jailers. He has no, no compassion. And when word of this reaches the king, he finds the first servant, who he forgave such an incredible amount, and he rebukes him because he dealt with his fellow servant in a way that wasn't reflecting the incredible forgiveness that the king had showed him. And when you look at this in perspective, you know it obviously seems absurd to us that the first servant would behave in that way. You know, we think I would never do that. That's absolutely that's absolutely crazy. I don't know why he wouldn't have compassion, but we're guilty of that. We're guilty of the same sort of thing at times. And when we look at our own lives, if we take a step back, you know, it is absurd of us to behave in the same way as the unforgiving servant. You know, lacking compassion for others when we have been forgiven of so much. And it's so important to forgive others just as the Lord has forgiven us. But what does that have to do with prayer, you might be asking? Well, when you think about it, prayer is a great time to forgive others if we haven't. And that isn't to say that the only time that we can or that we should forgive is during prayer. But prayer is a time when we humble ourselves before God. And it's a time when we are reminded of all that he has blessed us with. So I think that you know, that goes a long way towards putting us in the right mindset to forgive. And this is something that we don't only see in the Lord's Prayer. We can also look to passages like this one from the book of Mark to illustrate the connection between forgiveness and prayer. This is Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. 
Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So once again, we see the importance of extending forgiveness during prayer. Just as we ask for forgiveness for the times that we ourselves have fallen short. And this brings us to our sixth segment. And lead us not into temptation. This one can be a bit confusing at first as well. Because if you're like me, you might have heard that for the first time and thought, well, that seems off. You know, I know that God is good and loving, and it doesn't seem consistent with the character of God to tempt us. So why then would we pray that he wouldn't do it? Wouldn't it be a given that God wouldn't tempt us? Well, that's actually spot on. The Lord doesn't tempt us. And that's not just something that we infer. You know, it is clearly laid out in Scripture. We can see this in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's our own desires that lead us towards sin, not God tempting us. For that reason, this petition is not to indicate that God does tempt us, but instead to ask God to direct our paths and spare us from circumstances that would tempt us to sin. This is an understanding that is, once again, supported by other scripture. Here we're going to read Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so finally, we come to our seventh tenet. But deliver us from evil. This section is one asking for deliverance for those going through a trial at the moment, as well as for protection in the midst of trials that are to come. We know that God will deliver us in his perfect timing through the difficult times when we're struggling or when we fall short. But it's still important that we pray for that. For myself, this also serves as a reminder of sorts of my own shortcomings and my need for God. You know, just by praying for deliverance through a struggle, underneath that and underlying that prayer is an acceptance of the fact that I can't do it on my own. It's not only that I want help, I need help. And God is the one who can provide that. So that brings us to 
the end of the seven tenets of the Lord's Prayer. But you may still feel like there's a little something missing here. If that's you and you're feeling that way, I'm going to go ahead and guess that you are a reader of the King James Version Bible. And that's because some translations may have an additional line in verse 13 that reads, For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now this is something that I personally am very fond of. And although it has no bearing on the seven tenets of the Lord's Prayer, these are all theologically correct statements, obviously. So I wouldn't be concerned if your translation reads just a little bit differently, either with or without this piece in verse 13. And I certainly wouldn't say that one is right and the other wrong when it comes to this specifically, especially if you're using a good and reputable translation, whatever that may be. I just wanted to go ahead and mention this for anyone who may be wondering. But there is one word, however, that I do want to focus on as we begin to wrap things up today. And that word is amen, or amen, depending on how you pronounce it. Now, many people are likely familiar with this word as the way to end a prayer. But maybe you don't know exactly what its definition is. Even though it sounds like it to the ear of an English speaker, this is not a gendered term as some have misunderstood it to be. It is the Greek form of a Hebrew word, and it means this. Let it be so. So if you've ever wondered why we end a prayer by saying amen or amen, hopefully the knowledge of its meaning let it be so, shed some light on why that is. I know this may seem a bit out of place, perhaps, amongst the seven tenets of the Lord's Prayer, but I just couldn't fathom discussing prayer without at some point mentioning the one word that appears in almost every one. So I hope you've enjoyed our episodes on the topic of prayer, and that something said has been helpful in inspiring your own study into the topic, or in presenting some ways in which we have opportunities to grow in our prayer lives as Christians. And with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Mm-hmm.